Hello and welcome back to another episode of the EMG podcast. My name is Sam Boyassi, the head of publishing at EMG. And I've got a very, very special guest for you guys today. Her name is Claudia Adriani and she is the business head of customer excellence at Boehringer Ingelheim. Hi, Claudia. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. I know the team reached out to you a while ago to invite you over for the interview here at EMG. So thank you so much for making your way all the way here uh, to speak with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I'm going to dive straight into some of the questions that we've prepared for you today. And start from when you were at the age, I think it was between the ages of 9 to 18, uh, where you were a dedicated gymnast uh, and you were competing on national and international levels. But to what extent would you say has your experience in sport, in, in gymnastics in particular, helped you navigate your career in the pharma industry? Well, I would have to say that gymnastics has helped me, not just in pharma, but in general in my life. Mm. It has definitely shaped the way I sometimes see things and face challenges. I have to say probably all my resilience, my hard work, dedication, my work ethics even I get from gymnastics. It's a very hard sport. It's really demanding on 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 you and particularly at a very early age. Mm. So I grew up pretty much giving up many things because of my commitment and uh, but I did it because I was passionate about it. So it wasn't really at all on me, but uh, but equally it taught me the discipline, the coping with pain, mm. the non-stop and the no pain, no gain type of mentality. Mm-hmm. If I had to transfer that into pharma, then I would say pharma is a tough industry to work in. Um, perhaps the one thing that I can transfer directly from gymnastics is that that resilience of waiting and being able to wait for the incremental little improvements. Um, pharma, as I said, is a, is a hard industry. It's not as fast sometimes as, as we would like it to, you know, to be for um, adopting changes or for or for generating changes. And uh, but I was used to that. Gymnastics is like that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of conditioning and hard work, and every single day trying to make those little incremental improvements. And uh, and that's exactly what what it is, what the job is. And when I was little, I I wouldn't allow myself to give up. Um, because of my passion for the sports. Mm-hmm. And now as an adult, I think in pharma particularly, um, the responsibility we have with the patients, we are there for the patients, that's the reason why pharma even exists. We don't we don't get also to give up. So in a way, yeah, I I apply those learnings and I and I keep focus on what we are there to achieve, which is improve the lives of patients every day with the work Amazing. that we do. Do you still do gymnastics? Actually, um, I did for a while here in the UK just recently because oh. uh, my children are into gymnastics of too. Course. So I've got two girls who started to do gymnastics quite late. I did delay it purposely because I didn't want them to be so <laughs> like, um, yeah, high level. Um, yeah. Shame to say, but it's, it's, it's a hard price to pay on both your body and and your childhood in a way. So I did want them to do the sports, but not too much. So I signed them up in a club and they happen to have adults classes as well. So I sign up for my one treat, my one day a week that they spend with their dad. And I discovered that 
it's it's amazing how much your brain actually remembers. So my really? my body can do lots of well. My brain tells my body how to do lots of things, and then some of them my body do not support my <laughs> bo- myself. Yeah. So I discovered that at my age, 43, I'm better without hands than with hands, mainly because my arms cannot support <laughs> me. Um, but I still can do some things and yeah. it's definitely a lot of fun i had to quit because they they couldn't they couldn't find coaches for us anymore so mm. for the time you know anymore but yeah back on it now yes but but you did first enter the pharma industry back in 2010 after a number of different marketing roles that you've had but what was it about pharma that initially inspired you to work in the industry yes so um I actually, in in the past, I worked in different industries, including healthcare as a consultant. Uh, but I also have a bit of um, experience in in a family business that we set up, mm. my siblings and myself back in Venezuela, and it's a healthcare business. Um, I guess my inspiration for self, for healthcare probably starts there. It is quite nice and rewarding to do something for for people and some. So in, and being in an industry that actually benefits uh, somehow society rather than being in any other industries that, you know, have got yeah. different sort of benefits. Um, then when I finished the MBA, I have to say, I had a very interesting conversation, actually, when I was finishing my degree. Um, I was looking for joining different um, companies. One of them actually in healthcare as well had a, an offer for to go and work for Bupa in the UK. Oh, yeah. But um, but I also had that offer from AstraZeneca. And I remember having a conversation with a, with a McKinsey consultant that um, I was put in, in touch with who told me about how much challenge the pharma industry had in the next 10 years and how the industry had to kind of reinvent itself in a way in order to survive. And I have always been very keen on change and challenge. I come mm. from a country, that's part of my upbringing, right? I come from a country with a lot of trouble and I was um, raised as a kind of an agent of change without much option to be anything different because mm-hmm. we had the responsibility to do that. So anywhere where you can make a difference is a good place for me to be. Plus the fact that, again, pharma is an industry that does good. Uh, I thought, well, that's the place to be. I want to be part of that change. I want to be part of that reinventing the future of pharma and see if I can make it better or help it at least mm-hmm. survive. And uh, yeah, and I've been trying since. That's quite inspirational because I think a lot of people would have faced that situation quite differently, unfortunately. A lot of people would have gone for the easier option. Not that Booper would have been easier, who knows? Uh, but a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be like, that's going to be hard, so I'm going to pick that one. So it's a completely different mindset to have, and I and I definitely admire that. Uh, there's another element, actually, that attracted me to pharma, which is the complexity of it. Mm. Um, I do like marketing and the creative side of marketing, but I have to say, my brain somehow needs both sides. I need the complex problem-solving mm-hmm as well as the creativity and I think pharma marketing in a way combines the yeah. two I've, I've done marketing in other industries and I know that maybe it's more it's heavier on the creativity side of things I'm not saying that it, there's no strategic thinking behind it but mm-hmm. pharma is a heavily complex and and yeah. quite difficult industry for the number of stakeholders for the fact that we have obviously stakeholders and then we have the patients and the regulations and everything mm-hmm. so that level of complexity also I find quite attractive. Amazing. And to what extent have you seen marketing strategies evolve in the industry during your career since 2010? Yeah, um, definitely I've seen, well, 
mainly probably is the the customer centricity that is obviously becoming key for pharma um, customer and patient as well um, I do think though that we still have a a long way to go there um, and particularly for pharma companies we need to make sure that we um, invest more longer term yeah. um, which is something that is quite tricky as well because it's an industry that has had to come a long way to become a lot more profitable and more optimal in terms of their the resource allocation but we need to balance perhaps even better that sort of short-term investment and the long-term investment and invest more on the on the patient front but that is something that is evolving already um, of course there is all the use of new channels and the yeah. and the heavy and strong presence of digital as a as a channel which is just a natural evolution of the industry I mean it's not something that is the industry in itself this is the evolution of the world the world is becoming digital the customers and the patients are more digital and pharma in a way is catching up uh, as quickly as we can. Um, I guess the challenge for us is, is make sure that it's uh, not just driven by technology, but it's driven by that customer and patient centricity. And, and I would say also that in the last years, probably we're seeing a bit more boldness in the perhaps in the campaigns that we see out there okay. it is a heavy regulated industry and we can't be as sometimes as creative as maybe fmcg can be mm-hmm. um but i've seen some campaigns that are quite inspiring and and give us a bit of hope that yes we can do and we can work with our regular regulatory partners and our compliance partners within the business um to do campaigns that are more emotional and more you know and talk more to the heart of the patient which sometimes require to get a little bit of outside of what we used to see mm-hmm. and i yeah i have seen some of those mm-hmm. one of my favorite examples are perhaps some of the campaigns that i've seen coming out of a agencies like Havas links or like the you know like the psoriasis um campaign that they did for Novartis I found that one quite inspiring and mm-hmm. and different mm-hmm. um I've seen some other work of other good agencies like um DJM in the times of DJM we worked closely with them and uh and I've seen some of the nice campaigns that they've done as well quite more appealing to that emotion side of both customers and patients yeah uh, we went to we covered the Can Lions uh, Creativity Festival not that long ago, and certainly some of the things that you saw in terms of the collaboration between agencies and pharma companies and the different types of campaigns that they're now doing, which they're winning awards for. You're absolutely right; it's getting bolder, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with it as long as those various internal departments collaborate together that you mentioned. Um, then there's no reason why we can't, you know, strike those emotions and those various different elements to to make more bold um, marketing, I guess, campaigns in, in general. But but going back to a point that you made earlier about digital. What do you think are the most effective methods for improving digital capabilities of marketing departments in pharma from your experience? Yeah, so I would say the very first thing that I believe is key to success for embedding digital within any company is to actually start with the why, not with the technology and the why being actually it is the way our customers and our patients live the world these days and that's why we need to embrace the channel. Um, particularly dangerous if we try to tackle other channels. That's not the case so much now, but it was probably at the beginning of, of alternative channels within pharma, tackling that as a as a almost resource optimization mm. um, way of doing things. I don't think that's the right angle to, and that can create quite a lot of resistance, particularly from the field force, which 
are key in embedding digital capabilities, not just in marketing. Um, the other, um, the other th thing would be to make sure that the digital capabilities are well embedded into marketing. So they're not built in isolation, they're not built as a separate either department or as a different set of capabilities that marketers need to um, acquire. But actually they're quite natural for the marketers of today, no longer for the future. We used to talk about marketing, um, digital marketing, sorry, as a, almost like the marketing of the future, at least within pharma, it's not anymore. That is just marketing. Mm. marketing is digital because again our customers our patients are digital we live the world in a very digital way um, so that will be the second thing that is well embedded within the thinking the planning as well as the execution so as much as we can integrate that either the teams the digital teams within the marketing teams um, that is absolutely uh, critical and the last thing that I would mention is probably the leadership both buy-in and not overlook the capabilities of the leadership as well. Mm -hmm. The leadership is key in not only um, empowering and, 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 and enhancing the, the power of the marketeers or helping the brand team see the importance of this and championing it, mm. But it is important that actually we acknowledge the fact that some of them are not digital native for the seniority of these roles. Um, so we need to make sure that they also understand what good looks like. It's really hard for a leader to challenge the teams if they are in a position where they're not actually comfortable enough to ident identify what good looks like. So working with the leaders and being quite um, honest in yeah. those leadership conversations and, and make sure that we support them as well and, make, and making sure that they they know what it looks like and they can support the teams to everyone grow together and, and achieve yeah. the right level of capabilities. I do want to jump actually to another question that I was going to say for later, but you just made a really good point uh, that makes me want to go into that now. But what do you think are the key traits that make a successful leader in a marketing department? And would you say that those skills are unique to marketing in your experience or can they be applied to any leadership position? I think they're not unique to marketing. Mm. I think... Um, most traits of any successful individual are quite, I would say, probably generic mm -hmm. or general. Um, the first one, and this is one that I believe uh, very personally and probably is one that I kind of try and practice every day and it's almost inherent to individuals, but I think it's a passion and the passion yeah. for customers, for patients, and ultimately for whatever your company stands for. Um, I do believe in a, in a in that big component of of they match between what you as an individual are about and what makes you passionate and, and the company you work for. You need to be true to yourself and kind yeah. of, you know, be in the place where the most value that you want to add is the value that the company is expecting and needs from yeah. you. Um, because ultimately, if you don't have that passion, you won't have the energy, you won't have the resilience. As a leader, you won't be able to motivate your team. And and back to what I mentioned before is relating to that why we are doing this in the first place. You need to be passionate about that reason to exist. And only then you'll be able to strongly convey or even mobilize the what and the how we do that. Mm -hmm. um, the second element I would say is probably empathy. Mm. Um, I think a good leader needs to be, again, very empathetic internally to obviously understand the needs of the team and be able to foster each member of the team and make the team actually high performing, but that starts actually from a from a true place of of 
acknowledgement of the individual and almost vulnerability at times as well. Um, And then externally, you have to have that empathy also to truly understand the needs of the customers and the patients in the case of pharmacy or of of pharma, sorry. If we don't understand what our customers truly, truly need, what really moves the needle, what do they need, not just as professionals, but as human as well. And we can combine um, combine that knowledge and actually deliver the best value that we can for them, then we won't really be successful. And the last one is, is perhaps a bit more transactional, but I think it is important to have clarity, clarity in communication, not just clarity in what we're trying to achieve, to be able to, again, convey that message to the teams and be able to make sure that everyone is aligned that goal or that ultimate goal and the vision and the strategy, but also, again, um, clarity and single-minded when it comes to communicating to customers. It's, in this particular case, probably small marketing, but good marketing is about simplicity and clarity of messages and consistency across mm. um, along the time. So that is absolutely critical. So perhaps there's a bit of discipline as well to yeah. sticking with it and make sure that it's consistent um, um, over time. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't, doesn't take a day to change a behavior. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, really good. Going back to the to the marketing that we were covering beforehand then before I went off on a tangent in leadership, but are there any new innovative marketing in- initiatives that you're currently involved in creating and can you share them? Uh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> Unfortunately, I couldn't discuss a lot of detail because okay. of course this, those will be more of the, well, uh, the internal strategies that we're tackling in BI. But I, I yeah. can say, though, um, I'm quite excited about a, um, a new exciting project that we're working around patient engagement. Okay. And um, and this project particularly is looking for making the content that we're going to put in front of um, customers and patients in a more um, dynamic and tailorable way and to your point before on collaboration with partners this is something that we're partnering with an agency that has got this proprietary um, technology and tool that we're leveraging for a couple of our TAs I couldn't be able to comment any more on that but that's totally fine <laughs> thank you for that and that's uh, yeah well that's my favorite one at the moment I guess in general anyways in BI we're now in a moment of optimization we're more at this point in time trying to optimize the capabilities that we have um, do you know we all go through cycles when it's about expansion and innovation and then it's about embedding that and making sure that we're optimizing what we're doing we're at the moment more on the optimizing what we're doing um, phase so um, I'll let Exciting. you know later if we have any more innovative ideas yeah. or I'll let I'll you know when they're out <laughs> yeah I'll look out for those <laughs> But in, in what ways then would you say are the needs of patients and doctors evolving and, and how should the industry be adapting their marketing strategies to, to meet these trends? Yes, absolutely. So I did mention the, the previous trend before on obviously digital adoption and, and how that is in, and that is impacting the way customers and patients are not only interacting but the way that they're embracing, I guess, patients, particularly the healthcare. I think technology is bringing a lot of potential for patients to embrace their own diseases and to um, take ownership of their own diseases. 
But that is also bringing a little bit of polarization the way I see it outside in the market. So you, the, when you have conversations both with patients and HCPs and particularly when we do like market research and we try to dig deeper into what's happening, particularly on, on the control and, and, um, and management of chronic diseases, do you find that there is this element of, of course, technologies enabling patients with so many um, self-tracking um, mm. technology that is out there for them to take control of the disease. But also there's an element of overload of information and that creates a bit of confusion as well. So you get almost like two camps of patients, the ones that are totally embracing um, their, their disease and they want to manage it and they perhaps face a little bit of confusion on what is best to use yeah. and what information is best to and to use as well for decision making. But then you probably get the other side of the spectrum where um, we also have in today's world a lot more of uh, temptations in a way to deviate from what good management of diseases are, plus this additional confusion. And you get some patients that are almost like backing up and and going hands off, I don't know how to do this, and I, I almost give up. And then you get on the other hand, the the physicians that are facing one, the over-empowered patient, and sometimes mm. being annoyed by the fact that they walk into the consultation, you know, yeah. after consulting with Dr. Google and Absolutely. and knowing more than the ACP, but equally um, feeling a bit hopeless because they, their time is getting reduced and they don't have enough time to guide these patients accordingly. And for those that are not engaging, to actually engage them accordingly as well and give them tools that are simple enough for them to embrace and content that is mm -hmm. maybe simple and easy enough for them to digest and embrace. So I guess the responsibility we have as, as pharma companies, and this is actually something that ICPs are expecting from us, is, is to step in and help in that dynamic and help the physicians um, with the management of the patients. It's going to the beyond the pill initiatives and, and helping manage their diseases, helping them manage their diseases better, but equally helping HCPs to simplify a bit the amount of content that is out there and perhaps working with them to see how can we help them help their patients because they struggle with times and the patients are struggling with a bit of confusion and a bit of need for simplicity at times. So mm -hmm. I guess that to me is a kind of the main, um, yeah. the main thing. Absolutely, thanks for that. And, and finally, this is a, I feel like I'm, I'm interviewing you for a job asking you this question, but I'm going to ask anyway and see what sure. your answer is. But what would you say are your main, if there are any, career goals over the next five years or any kind of personal milestones that you're hoping to hit? Right. So, um, I have to be honest, I have just started a very new, exciting role within BI. So I joined the company a year ago. And uh, after a bit of a realignment of my existing team and another team, I'm now heading a, a slightly bigger team with very exciting um, tasks and goals ahead of us. Mm -hmm. um, I'm now heading the customer um, excellence uh, team, as you um, mentioned before. And, uh, and we have lots and lots of things to do. So I have to be honest, I'm not sitting now thinking what's my next role or my next mm -hmm. um, career goal because at the moment it is about making an impact. It's about growing this team. It's about um, really helping BI in the transformation program that um, 
the company has embarked on in the last three years and that we are proud of being part of and uh, and making it happen. If I have to say, and maybe not next, not five years, I know you asked for five years, what's maybe the only thing that is in my to-do list that is a box that I will take eventually at some point is um, maybe setting up my own business. But that mm. I don't see it as something happening in the medium term. Mm-hmm. It's more something that uh, is in my to-do list, maybe because I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I'm the yeah. only one that has been always kind of like most of my career employed. And, and I do see myself maybe later on when I have enough win- wisdom, that's not the case yet. <laughs> I still have a lot to learn. Um, maybe setting up uh, something like a consultancy or of some sort and um, and helping maybe smaller businesses um, yeah That's do amazing. the marketing roles and and maybe along capabilities or of some sort if unless I win the lottery if I do win <laughs> the lottery then it'll be more of a, a an NGO of um, certain sort and I think I would kind of like, set up an NGO, run it like a proper business and do some good work for third world countries around education. But you need a lot of money to do that. So uh, for the time being, it'll be set up my own business (laughs) and God knows maybe do something good for Latin America and the rest of the third world as well. Very nice. And and maybe some personal milestones being more gymnastics lessons, maybe get back into that full time. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Fitness fitness at my age is always a a goal there that often gets deprioritized based on the professional goals. But yes, yes, why not? Maybe some competition later on, right? (laughs) (laughs) absolutely but Claudia thank you so much for for this very insightful interview really appreciate it Um, and for our listeners that is all we've got time for today but thank you so much for tuning in and tune in again next week for another episode of the EMG podcast thank you Claudia thank you so much for having me